As a business leader, you know attracting top talent is just the beginning. Real growth happens when you lead yourself and others well. Creating a company culture that attracts, nurtures, and retains the best of all things. We'll teach you how to make an impact through a holistic leadership approach. Reframing success in leadership. This is the Talent Magnet Institute podcast with your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. For those who have been joining the Talent Magnet Institute, you know that we have launched our digital leadership platform and been offering a tremendous amount of content, learning opportunities, and direct access to leaders that are aligning to how to build an organization that is focused on becoming a talent magnet. This month's theme is building an inclusive and equitable culture. We are going to have several weeks of podcast episodes that will come out aligned to this content. We will also be leading a live and in focus and two fireside chats for our members that will be taking place throughout the month of October. We are so excited to have a month dedicated to this topic. I will also share with each and every one of you that one of our core values at the Talent Magnet Institute and is pursued in every single piece of content is building an inclusive and equitable culture for all. You've heard us mention often that when you're a true talent magnet organization, you're looking through the lens of every single one of the people that are around you. You're thinking about the ways, the actions, and the results and the implications that has on every single person in your company. We encourage you to listen to some of the previous episodes from last month on courageous conversations and active listening. We also want to share with you that we're going to rerun episode 19, which was diversity and inclusion with Dr. Janet Reed. Dr. Reed is the founder of BRBS World, a private global management consulting consortium located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Dr. Reed is also one of our prominent faculty members who has spent the last 35 years of her life dedicated to this topic for organizations around the world. We're rerunning this episode because of the practical nature of what Dr. Reed shares with us, the specific details that you can take into your life today to implement and gain impact on the power of not just diversity, but inclusion. As Dr. Reed says in this episode, diversity and equity and inclusion is critical for everyone to acknowledge, to accept, and to learn from. So this episode is very practical. It's filled with knowledge, and it is powerful to help us all build an inclusive and equitable culture. Without further ado, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Reed. And I thank you so much for being a part of this community, and I encourage you to reach out to us, connect to us, and join us at the Talent Magnet Institute. Welcome to this 
week's episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast, and it is a distinct honor to be with Dr. Janet Reed, founder of BRBS World. Dr. Reed has spent 35 years focusing on diversity and inclusion across the United States as well as the rest of the world, is getting ready to release her third book, has been a board of director member of Xavier University here in Cincinnati, Ohio, sits on the board of Bon Secours and Mercy Healthcare, an $8 billion healthcare delivery organization, and is a former board member of the Ohio State University and Board of Trustee. Dr. Reed, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. I am very excited to dive into the discussion of diversity and inclusion with you, the world leader in this topic, (laughs) and have set so many standards for the way that leaders all over the world approach and are learning about and how to implement and bring the best practices and really to change what I would say hearts and minds around the topic of diversity and inclusion. So could you start out for our audience today and define diversity and inclusion? Everybody has a definition. How do you define diversity and inclusion? Well, diversity really refers to all the ways in which people are different and the same. Usually when people think about diversity, they only think about differences, but really is it is differences and similarities. So these differences and similarities can range anywhere from what people typically think of, which is race and gender, but it also includes thinking style differences, differences of upbringing, differences of approach to problem solving, to communication, to where you were born, to all kinds of differences. So that being diversity, I would say is more the noun. The verb would be inclusion. And inclusion is how you leverage those differences and similarities to benefit a business or to benefit a nonprofit or an organization or a community. So inclusion requires you to take action. Diversity is just the mix on which you take that action. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. We will make sure we share that definition in the show notes so that people can really hang on to that. I think it's so important to keep that in front of us all at all times. So you talk on the website about talent optimization. Can you share from my, it looks like there's almost a calculation that the value of diversity and inclusion brings talent optimization for businesses and for companies? Yes, that's right. So just starting from the beginning, when you look across the demographics of the United States, and really if you look at the demographics of the world, The pool from which we pull talent now is more diverse than ever. So if we are talking to about optimizing talent, then we have to take into account the fact that all of these different talented people are different and they're similar. So to be able to leverage those differences and similarities is very important. So that's the essence of the optimization of it. Years ago, people used to join corporations or join organizations and try to fit in, you know? So the idea was to try to conform to a norm. And the norm usually meant very little flexibility in the way that people communicated or the way people thought, et cetera. But nowadays it's very different. So in order to maximize or optimize talent, then you have to take into account what those differences and similarities are. From a competitive perspective, why should organizations care? Yes. Let's just ask that question. Yes. I know why they should care, but we've got to ask that question because there might be a 
a listener that's saying, I'm trying to define this for my organization and I need to bring the business metrics into it and I need to paint the right story to our board, to our leadership team. And I want to tell the right message to our future talent and existing talent of why diversity and inclusion matters to us and why we should care. Yes. Well, on three levels, people should care. So one is the moral reason why, treating people fairly. You know, that's sort of 101. And that's actually where diversity, the concept of looking at diversity, really began. You know, it was a fairness argument. But on top of that fairness platform exists two other really compelling reasons. One is if, in fact, you do want your organization to be a talent magnet, what you will find is that most employees and most potential employees care about having a diverse and inclusive culture in the corporation. So to the extent that your corporation or your organization can demonstrate that it is a place that values diversity and inclusion, you'll have a leg up in terms of attracting the best talent. So you really will be a talent magnet. The third reason is just the bottom line. So we're one to Google diversity, inclusion, business case. You would get hundreds of hits on studies that have been done linking diversity and inclusion to the business case. One that we particularly like is one that's done by McKinsey. It's called Diversity Matters, and it just was republished or updated, I should say, in 2018. So what you see is a thousand businesses there in or their base sizes, a thousand businesses worldwide. And what they looked at is businesses that are most diverse at the top, meaning the C-suite and the board of directors, comparing those to businesses that were least diverse. They took businesses and put them into four quartiles. So they looked at the top quartile versus the bottom. And what they saw was statistically significantly higher EBITs for businesses that were more diverse gender-wise and more diverse ethnic diversity-wise. So that's just one of hundreds of studies that show that diversity and inclusion really do affect the bottom line. And I just want to emphasize again, and inclusion, which means that you can have a diverse organization, but if it is that those people who are a little bit different from the norm are isolated or their ideas are not fully incorporated, et cetera, then you have a diverse organization. You don't have an inclusive one. And what the McKinsey and other studies will show you is that both need to be in place in order to get the bottom line benefit. Absolutely. One of the values of the Talent Magnet Institute is focusing on bringing out the best of all people and all things and really retaining the best, engaging the best of all people and all things and helping organizations recognize that it's the engagement of those relationships and the, the value and respect and the interest and the getting to know your neighbor. We've talked a lot about in previous podcast episodes that building those relationships and helping people find their best, creating an environment where people can be their best and bring out their best. And that's a very inclusive valuing all people wherever they come from and wherever they are and whatever they're thinking and trying to maximize that potential for them and for your organization. Yes. Yes. And that is inclusion at its best. 
Can you share a little bit about how has the conversation changed over the last many years, many decades? How has the conversation changed and where do you see it sitting now around the world? Yes. So much of this dialogue started in the United States. Now it's a global phenomenon talking about diversity and inclusion. But in the United States, much of it began with concepts of affirmative action and equality in applying for jobs and so forth. That was back in the 50s and the early 60s. However, some people still think of it as that, you know, which is, you know, that's many, many years ago. So what has evolved out of that is the concept that diversity includes every single body. So in the United States, if you're thinking white male, that's part of diversity. If you're thinking Italian woman, that's part of diversity. It's all diversity. Everybody is included in that. So the evolution has been to include everybody and then to talk about inclusion as an action that speaks to exactly what you just mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, which many of the other podcasts have alluded to. But that's the thinking. And the thinking is also that most people do want to get along with people who are like them and unlike them. You know, most people do want to build those types of relationships in the workplace that are positive for everybody. But what we've come to know is that that is not always just a natural thing for people. There are skills behind working with people who are very different than you or who approach life very different than you. What we know now and what is continuing to emerge and what we're writing a book on is the neuroscience of diversity and inclusion, meaning that our brains are trained because of all the reasons of you know, how it is that we are as human beings to look at people who are a little bit different askance. You know, it's just a protection mechanism. That worked well when we were less connected with each other. But now with the internet, with all the things that we do to connect ourselves, then we have to teach our brains to be comfortable with people who are different. In fact, to flow toward people who are different. So that's the latest understanding is that we have to really work at this. We can't just assume even if our hearts are in the right place that we have the skills to be able to connect with people who are different than we. So your next book that you're publishing will be helping people work through their innate conditioning that's or wirement and rewiring their minds and brains to this conversation. That is absolutely correct. Yes. And it's acknowledging that all of us have inherent biases. That's how our brains are built. Our bodies are built in that way as well. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's different than a prejudice. A prejudice is when you know you don't like somebody. <laughs> you know, a bias is when you're not really aware. It's just a natural thing that most of us, you know, if we were to think of going to a completely different country where we don't know the language, we've never been there, we're unfamiliar with the people then your antennae rise, you know, and you are a little leery, you're a little more cautious on starting conversations and so forth. So it's just a natural thing. So now we have to learn the skills to overcome that. But I would say also, this is no different than anyone who is to become an effective leader in a corporation or organization. There's skills that you have to build. 
And that's the same thing. This is no different. Yeah, there were two quotes. We had uh, a dear friend, Mike Kelly, on the podcast, and he shared, if each of us can realize the conditioning that exists in our own lives and make a promise to address that, get uncomfortable, it can make a world of a difference. Oh, my goodness. If I could put an exclamation mark behind that, being comfortable with discomfort, it's a good thing. And when we talk about it, it sounds like who would want to be comfortable with discomfort? But then when you think about the crux of innovation, innovation is disruptive and people are uncomfortable with it in the beginning. When you think about starting a new business, you know, an entrepreneur, then you're beginning to do something that you have no idea how the outcome will be. All of these things are points of discomfort that ultimately become comfortable. You know, it becomes the norm. We just have to be able to tolerate being uncomfortable and knowing that it will result in a greater good. Can you share a little bit about some experiences? Is there a story or two that you have seen the eyes open and the ears open to this concept and people dramatically change the way they're leading themselves, they're leading people and really enhancing their own culture because of the work that you're doing and the impact that you're having on this topic? Yes. yes. You know, I've been fortunate in all of these years to see many executives, many in the C-suite, be able to understand what the power is of diversity and inclusion. And I would share some of the light bulb coming on has come when people have seen product innovation occur because the team that created those products were diverse and inclusive in their actions. So there is a snack food company that many know about, PepsiCo, for example, that had a diverse group of individuals working on how to innovate on their Doritos brand. And making a very long story short, a number of the employees were Hispanics that were involved and looked at where there was an outage in the Hispanic community based on flavors. You know, flavors and taste is often rooted culturally. And they saw an opportunity and created a new line of Doritos, which blew the socks off of the sales, you know, for example. Another example, one can look at Procter & Gamble and the whole Buy Black is Beautiful line of products. And that focuses in on a community that had not been focused on prior. But you can look at other things. For example, there's a healthcare corporation that, like everyone else, you know, every other healthcare corporation sends out bills, you know, for people to pay their co-pays. Well, the bills were always sent out just in one language. And someone realized that perhaps, you know, if you were to send it out in a different language, you would see increased revenue. And that was the case. So when things like this happen, usually in the C-suite, there's a light bulb that goes off. And what that leads to is thinking, how, in fact, then can we not just benefit consumer-wise from diversity and inclusion, but how can we benefit with enhancing our culture, you know, with having our people look at each other differently? So can we go into a few more steps to help those listening on their natural conditioning, right? So it's something that you were born and raised by your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your parents, your community, your neighbors, 
that all impacts the way we upbring and the way we view life today, positively or negatively. Can you share some steps that you help people through on this, the natural conditioning, the natural wirement to help them see and value differences more? Yes. So we actually do often with people an exercise that allows them to go through an inventory of who it is that they mostly have in their homes. What type of people are they more likely to see brilliance in and promote, you know, at the workplace? How they spend their spare time, what their children's friends look like. And we just go on and on. And what people typically see is that they are replicating themselves. This is just a very natural thing. So how does that play out? If you were to look, say, at the Fortune 500 corporations, and if you were to look at the C-suite, usually for Fortune 500 companies, you only have about 5% of those companies that have female CEOs. So that means 95% have male CEOs. Then if you look at the C-suite itself, you find that the majority of individuals in the C-suite underneath the CEO are also males. And that's another example of the conditioning. You see brilliance when it looks like yourself. So nothing is wrong with any of that. But what we do know is that if you are to benefit from diversity and inclusion, you have to be able to recognize that you are likely to promote people like you, who speak like you, who think like you, who look like you, and that you have to build in ways to be able to stop yourself and look at a broader cross-section of individuals. So there's one thing, Mike, that we have sent people to, a website we have sent people to, which is a Harvard University website on implicit bias. So if someone were to type in implicitharvard.edu, I think it is, or even implicit in Harvard, what you see is an assessment that people can take to determine what some of their unconscious biases are. These biases emanate from how it is that we were raised. I would encourage people to do that, but I would also encourage you to put your seatbelt on because you're likely to find out some things about the conditioning that you've had that leads you to different preferences for different types of people that you are unaware of. But that's a place to start to see what the outcome is of the conditioning that we've all had. There's another quote that came from our interview with Shaquilla Ahmed, uh, which I encourage any of our listeners to go back and listen to the interview with Mike Kelly and Shaquilla Ahmed. Learning about other people and understanding them doesn't make you any less of who you are. By learning about someone else's faith, you're not less of a Christian or Jew or Muslim. You're better because of it. It makes you more of who you should be, not less of who you are. Just another great takeaway about valuing people. And it's been a real encouragement of the podcast conversations to hear the journeys of leaders and how, how much of leaders impact that are leading very, very well. Individuals that you would say they're striving to lead well, how much they've leaned into this conversation about being comfortable with the uncomfortable, challenging themselves to think. We will provide a link to the implicit bias, Harvard, Harvard University. Harvard. Mm -hmm. We will provide that in our show notes as well. I encourage everyone to take it. 
and then tell us what you learned from it, yes. right? You can use hashtag talent magnet or email us directly and just share. Here's what that, here's how that challenged me or here are things I'm going to do to work on continuing to lean into this conversation of valuing all people and finding the differences and creating innovative disruption, whatever that might look like for you. I would definitely encourage people to take it and invite them along with you to report back. I will say again that when you take it, you'll be quite surprised. Most people will, are quite surprised. And take your results and perhaps if it is comfortable for you to be uncomfortable enough to talk it out with others as well, bring it to the workplace. You know, talk about this with perhaps people who are your peers or others who have reported to you. Just to ask, have you seen patterns in my decision-making that is also indicative of the things that I've found once I've taken this assessment? And then also embark on broadening your perspective. What Shaquille spoke about is very true. We speak of a concept of cultural dexterity or cultural fluidity. That means that you know your culture. You're proud of your people, your family, your upbringing. But you also are able to flex such that you can interact highly effectively with people whose cultures are different than your own. And you're able to be in, to some extent, a cultural bridge, you know, to bring others into understanding other people's cultures. Ultimately, there are very few things that are simply right and wrong. Crimes, they are wrong, right? But when you take a look at the fact that you and I can look at the exact same thing and see something a little bit different. That's not right or wrong. That's just a different perspective. And most of us consider our own perspectives to be right and most other people's perspectives to be wrong. <laughs> That's just how we're wired. But to understand that there are shades of gray and there is fluidity can take us into increased creativity and increased productivity. There's so much going on in our world today right? And there's so much discontent and disconnect. And on the other hand, I do feel that there's a lot of people who are the brand, the message of media is disconnect and discontent. But there are a lot of people trying to do this well and trying yes. to love other people and connect with other people and value other people. Are there a couple of key objectives or thoughts you'd love for our listeners to walk away with from this conversation? Where can they, again, start? Where can they make an impact today as they go out into the world or into their workplace when they reach that destination? Yes. So I am uh, very much in agreement with you that, unfortunately, it appears that the world is moving apart, you know, in terms of people taking stances and disconnecting from others and so forth. So I think the good news in all of this is that those who are observing this, who would normally be neutral, you know, they would just opine on the fact that people are moving apart, are now becoming active. You know, they are beginning to practice inclusion, to go out and look for diverse groups of people to bring together. What Shaquille has done is an example of that, bringing people together of different faiths. What I would recommend as a starting point is, for example, those who are of faith, and not everyone is, but those who are of faith, maybe take your place of worship and look to see if there are places that you can bring others who are maybe in your same denomination, but different than you economically, for example, 
and bring people together to begin a dialogue. I know that Crossroads Church is doing some work in this arena and some others. In the work world, what I would recommend is to take a look at whether your organization has a diversity and inclusion strategic plan or not. And if not, then I would begin talking about how to possibly do that. So most of the time when people think about in the workplace bringing people together, the first thing that they think about is let's get some diversity training going. Diversity and inclusion training is part of a strategy. It's a tactic that is an important tactic within an overarching strategy. But a strategy is comprised of looking at what your business strategy is or your corporation or your organization's strategy and thinking through how diversity and inclusion can enhance each one of the elements of that overarching strategy. So often bringing people together, as you mentioned, would include taking a strategy and looking at the different elements. So for example, how can we use diversity and inclusion to increase our recruiting, to increase our ability to, again, attract people to be a talent magnet? Once people are here, how can we use diversity and inclusion to help develop our people, help retain our people, advance our people, et cetera? And then how can we use diversity and inclusion to enhance our business, to get to a more diverse marketplace, to enter with products that are more innovative than before? So that is looking at it strategically. Now, in there, there is some room for diversity training, but that is certainly not the beginning nor the end of an overarching strategy. So I would say think strategically in the world of work, but also think through your heart, if we were to say it that way, in terms of what happens in our communities, in the spheres in which we have influence, bring people together. If you find, for example, that you are working on a community project and most of the people around the table look just like you, then speak to that. (laughs) You know, say, well, I think we need a little bit more diversity here. If you are looking at a board of directors and you look around and most of the people look a certain way or have a certain set of experiences, then speak to that. You know, speak to the power of diversity and inclusion and let's consciously go and make our organizations more diverse and more inclusive. That's wonderful. So speak, speak, speak have, to share it. what you're seeing. Yes. Question, challenge, yes. be again, comfortable getting quote unquote uncomfortable. It shouldn't be uncomfortable to name it. Yes. And what it is and be very intentional about it. I know even in our, in our search strategies for Centennial, we have made an effort, a conscious effort to be as inclusive as possible in how we go about finding talent for our clients, where we go about getting out of the, you know, and I know you've provided some great coaching on that to me over the years of thinking about if you keep fishing in the same circles and (laughs) investing time in the same circles, you're going to get the same results. Yes. Be intentional about being inclusive and how you're going about your strategies. Intentional inclusion is the best way, the most succinct way of stating this. Yes. And let me just mention two things, Mike. People, our experience is that people come to diversity and inclusion in two ways. 
One way is because they are afraid of getting sued. Let's make sure that we don't say the wrong thing. You know, let's make sure our people are understanding that we are zero tolerant on bad behavior. That is an okay way of doing things, but the focus is on a negative. The focus is on making sure that nobody comes after us. You do need some of that because you don't want somebody to come after you, so to speak. But 95% of the benefit of diversity and inclusion is gotten by those that fall in the other camp. The other camp is diversity and inclusion is the right thing to do. It's the business thing to do. It is good for our neighborhoods. It's good for our country, good for our world. It makes us more innovative. It makes us more creative. It makes us better as human beings. When you look at it that way, then what you really do come to is all of the promises that diversity and inclusion give. And you come to bringing, we talked about home upbringing. It comes to the fact that you now can raise younger people or you can bring children into the world in a different mindset, one that is diverse, inclusive from the beginning. And that's when we really start making this world a better place. Dr. Reed, thank you so much for this time today. Thank you for being on the advisory board of Centennial and ultimately what has created this incredible outcome called the Talent Magnet Institute. It's a pleasure to have you as a mentor, as a friend, as an advisor, and someone helping guide us into the future. I hope our listeners are able to listen to this not just once, but probably two and three times to really take note and to make an impact in helping their organization become a talent magnet and to really bring out the best of all people and all things inside their organizations. Well, I am just the Talent Magnet Institute fills an amazing need, and that is to be able to build your talent, be able to make your talent the best it can be, and attract the best. So I thank you, and I wish all of our listeners the best with diversity and inclusion. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Talent Magnet Institute podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and help spread the word by leaving a review. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is powered by Centennial, a talent strategy and executive search firm, and the Talent Magnet Institute. You can engage with us at Talent Magnet I on Twitter or Talent Magnet Institute on LinkedIn and Facebook. Please communicate by using hashtag Talent Magnet. Find us in your favorite podcast app to subscribe, rate, and leave a review, as well as share with a colleague. You can also listen at talentmagnetpodcast.com. Our podcast studio is based in greater Cincinnati, Ohio. We are supported by our listeners, clients, and partners from all over the world. The Talent Magnet Institute podcast is made possible by a great team that includes Janelle Spence and Christine Lewis of Centennial, Josh Chappelle and Adam Smith of Soundpress, produced by Chris Madine of New Fidelity Studios, and Audra Casino and Megan Doherty of One Stone Creative. Music written by DJ Corbett and Chris Madine. And myself, your host, Mike Sipple Jr. Thank you for joining us on the journey of developing leaders to succeed in relationships, work, community, and life, reframing success in leadership.